question where we are mentally. You know, I don't, I don't question our physical ability because I see us, I see our players in practice every day. I see how we are able to uh, share the ball and move the ball on offense. I see how we're able to shoot the ball in practice. I see how we're able to guard. But uh, and then in the games, it's, it's like a different team. Welcome to Buff Stampede Radio. Your hosts Adam Munster, Tiger Ryan Konigsberg, and fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. Gentlemen, step up to the mic and drop some CU knowledge. Welcome into a new Buff Stampede Radio. Adam Munster Tiger here with Ryan Konigsberg, and we are joined this time by Tyler Ziskin, our fan correspondent. In this show, we're going to talk men's basketball, and uh, then tomorrow, look for a new podcast previewing spring practices up at CU. Guys, uh, obviously not uh, a positive topic here in terms of just the CU men's basketball program in general. Uh, if you had uh, written out a worst-case scenario before the season, how close would what has actually transpired would it be to what you would have thought as a worst-case scenario, them being 11-11 and after 22 games? Uh... I, we were talking about this a little bit earlier. I don't even think my worst case scenario would have been this bad. Yeah. Which is really sad and depressing to think about. I think I definitely would have had Josh getting injured on there, but I would not have had his play while he was healthy been this poor. I mean, he's regressed. He's really struggled. I mean, he's probably been the most consistent player, which is another problem, right? Because he hasn't played up to expectations at all. But he just hasn't really dominated the way that I think a lot of us expected to this year. Um, it's, I don't know, you look at who they've beaten, and it, they've really kind of just beaten the teams that they were really obviously better than and lost to pretty much everybody else. So, yeah. I don't know, it's been about as frustrating as humanly possible, especially considering the way we've lost. We've gotten crushed a couple times in embarrassing fashion, but at the same time, we've also lost a lot of winnable games down the stretch that we had opportunities to win, so... I don't know, just overall, this is, you know, we, we have this title as Murphy's Law type season, and I don't know how you could describe it in any other way. Yeah, I think this would be almost exactly where I would have had my worst case scenario. I think about, you know, player by player, and it's like, Dom Collier doesn't come in and really contribute much. Um, no, none of the sophomores take a, you know, a really solid step forward. Jaron uh, uh, Hopkins has had some good games and showed some things. But, you know, it hasn't been a consistent effort out of him. Josh Scott doesn't take that, you know, uh, Pac-12, um, like, player of the year step that people thought he could have taken. Xavier Johnson doesn't do anything uh, special in terms of his development. So it's like, you couldn't have, if you would have predicted the worst, that's what you would have predicted. No one gets any better. It's the same team. And, you know, you look at the the way they were, they're even a little worse than they were at the second half of last year without Spencer Dinwiddie. So that's that would have been pretty hard to predict something worse than that. It would have been one thing if this team was rolling and then the injury started. There We already saw 
the chinks in the armor well before that, them losing a lot of basically every close game, scoring 33 points at Wyoming in their third game of the season. So, And I, Ty Boyle has the right perspective on this. When the injuries are brought up, he said that's not an excuse. And um, I want to ask you guys now, uh, how much of this is, is on Tad Boyle and his staff? And how much of the struggles are on the players? What kind of uh, percentage would you put on, on both of them? I mean, you'd have to put a lot on Tad, right? I mean, he's recruiting these kids, and, the, the you know, he's running the program. So That's one thing I like about college game is the buck stops short with the coach for that reason. Yeah, I mean, it's not like in, you know, in professional sports where sometimes rosters are built not to be very good. In college, yeah. you're responsible for, you know, for what your roster looks Five like. Five years in, in especially. Yeah, in full. And, you know, you can, you can make any excuse you want, but this team hasn't developed at all. I mean, you, there's not more than one or two guys that you can even say has progressed even remotely since last year. I'd say Jerron Hopkins maybe yeah, slightly. One or two, right. That's I mean, Jerron would be the number one, and I guess you could see Wes Gordon has been more more consistent and had bigger games, but, you know, he's these kids are supposed to get better. To me, it's been pretty ugly. I mean, you can see the confidence of this team is about as low as possible. You can see on the court kids don't want to shoot the ball. You can see in their eyes they don't know what to do, where to go, you know, what how to make this better. They've been hit or miss on defense. There are, you know, stretches in games that they're pretty solid and in other times, you know, they're just letting teams do whatever they want. To me, it has to come back to Tad. I mean he's the he's the head of the program and he's recruited these kids and he's supposed to be developing these kids and I you know obviously Confidence is a tough thing to teach, right? But, you know, if you have kids prepared to play, they're going to be more confident in my eyes. So, I mean, Tad has to take a majority of the credit I, for how the season's going. I was going to say, uh, for me, I would go 70-30, 70, 30, 70 yeah, on the coaches. Right. There, there is the, the 30% of these players not stepping up as leaders. Yeah, you recruit these kids to school, and, and you try to uh, instill, you know, that, that uh, development out of them through your coaching, but... Some of these guys just haven't bought in all the way. Yeah, this is going to sound weird coming from the uh, group of Tad Boyle groupies that we are, <laughs> according to our friend on the board. But, uh, you know, you do have to put all, most of the blame on Tad Boyle. Um, I said this on our post-game um, Buff Stampede TV last time. It's just he tried to put together a, a puzzle with pieces from a bunch of different puzzles, and it just doesn't fit. And he's responsible for putting that puzzle together. You know, he's the one who brought these players on campus in. Um, he has that focus where he wants those long and athletic players, but you can't just put a bunch of long and athletic players together with um, little skill and expect your non-existent offense to work. You know, this offense has gotten by in the past by having that guy who can just, win, uh, when everyone stands around for 25 seconds, can decide, all right, it's my time to go to the rack. And now that that's not there, it's just a complete mess and there's really only one person you can blame that on. But then you look at the fact that there's guys showing up late to practice, they're not getting in for curfew, and it's like, it is, it's Murphy's Law on that sense too, you know. Tad Boyle is a, an OBS guy, so it's not that he's giving these players too long of a leash, they're just not, uh, you know, they're not bringing it, they're not uh, focused, and so that's why you go, yeah, 20 or 30% has to be on the players because they're not, you know, they're not bringing it. They're not uh, 100% dedicated to this right now. Josh Scott said after their last game against Utah that they do like each other off the court. When they're on the basketball court, they don't look like they like each other. Yeah, I mean, to me, you can tell that there's not any leadership on this team. I'll tell you, like, when I played, if there were kids showing up late to practice, 
I would make sure that they got to that next practice on time. To be late three or four times in a season, that's not acceptable. And to me, honestly, I think the punishment needs to start ramping up. You know, not you know not starting the game is one thing, but if you can't continually do your job and show up when you're supposed to, how are the younger kids on the team supposed to do it, right? And to me, <clears throat> I don't know. It's just everything is falling apart. Like you see, I made a comment on Twitter the other day about Josh calling the game embarrassing. And that was the first time I've seen anybody on this team take any ownership for how they've played on a pretty, you know, on a serious level. You know, like people are saying, oh, well, you know, we have to do this and we have to do that. But at some point you have to look around and just say, this is not acceptable. What are we going to do as players to make it better? And I haven't really seen that much from the leadership on this team so far this year. Yeah, you talked about when you were in high school. I'm not sure if Tad did this, and I was just on the golf team, but if one person showed up late to our practice, we had to run the first and second holes with our golf bags on. So uh, we made sure no one no one was showing up late to practice. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure Tad has some sort of a accountability thing, but eventually, like he said, it goes back into the locker room. Until someone in that locker room looks at his fellow teammates and says, when is enough is enough, yeah. and when can we make this stop, and let's all get our heads in here, there's nothing that, that Tad can do um, other than, you know, try and get someone to do that for him. But, um, you know, the coach is always going to kind of have the, the bad guy look. It's when one of your your teammates, one of your peers comes in and says, yo, this this isn't cool. That's not enough. Like, yep. get here on time. That's when that kind of thing happens. And obviously, this team just doesn't have yeah, that. Yeah, there's been a few in text messages and tw- and tweets and stuff. People just be like, "Well, isn't it about winning?" It's like, "Well, no. You're just not going to punish a kid because he's good. That's not how it works, right? You know, yeah, it might hurt the team, but that's not Tad's fault. That's a specific player's fault, right? So, to me, on the team, I haven't seen any remorse for those actions. I haven't seen anybody call anybody out. I mean, obviously, there's stuff going on behind the scenes. I'm sure, but. That type of stuff just isn't acceptable. You're not going to win games if you can't do even the smallest thing the way that you're supposed to. You look at every player on this roster, and literally the only guy I can see that can be that guy to step up in that leadership role is Josh Scott. None of these other guys have the personality nope. or the temperament to do that. It has to be Josh Scott. It has yeah, to be. I mean, and it. I don't know if he really does either. I, I don't. Mean, th- he's the closest to it, though. Yeah. He's the only one that's even in that realm. I, <laughs> I think. Mean, to, you look at obviously, it's too late for Ski at this point. I mean, yeah. he's going to be gone. We're to look. We're to, we're. Talking he's a bit of a loner. Right? He's known yeah. as a bit of a loner. And I mean, you Dom coming in as a big name recruit, you'd like to think as a point guard, he could kind of surround these guys. But this year, it's not really realistic, right? I mean, he's been hurt. He's a freshman. And there's only so much you can do. But going forward, I mean, someone's going to have to take reins of this team. You know, hold someone responsible for how they perform on the court. Ted Boyle talks about, and he's talked about this when his team comes out from halftime, he talks about how they're worried about looking cool and being cool. And I almost feel like there's something to be said about, you know, being that leader isn't cool. It's not, you know, no one thinks you're the cool guy on the team when you're getting in people's faces and telling them to show up on time. And I feel like there is a concern, especially with the way this team, uh, they're not divided, but they don't all hang out together. You know, they have their little cliques, and no one you know, uh, thinks they're going to make any new friends by being that guy. And I I think that has something to do with why none of them are being that guy. You know, Spencer Dinwiddie didn't really care. Um, he wasn't best friends with anyone on the team, but, he, you know, he had that basketball mind where he just wanted to win, and he knew what it, mm-hmm. it took to do it. Yeah, interesting. Just sorry, one more thing. I, kind of interesting to me is you publicly Josh and Wes are probably the closest kids on the team, right? Like they always talk about how they grew up together and big-time best friends and stuff, but they struggle together on the court. I mean, I've still yet to see Wes really play well with Josh on the lineup. 
And I think that's kind of the most interesting dynamic right now is how is Josh going to be able to get West to say, I don't care that I'm back on the court. You need to do your thing and show up the way that you have without me in a lot of these games for us to really take the next step. Obviously, a lot of issues have led to this 11-11 start through 21, uh, 22 games. What's been the single biggest issue? Is it recruiting, player development, or lack of chemistry slash leadership? Hmm. It's such a mix of all of them. <laughs> um, I, I think recruiting, I, I think I have to give it to recruiting. I really think that this team isn't capable of, at their best, even being a good offensive team. So, you know, the, the way that it just works out, they don't have guys that can knock down open shots. You know, when you're shooting as bad as they did against Utah at home, that means that you just don't have the guys that can knock down the shots. And you have to be able to do that. That's how good offenses work. You know, you look, you, when, when they're playing a team like Utah, as soon as a guy has an open shot, in your mind you said that's going in. No one thinks that about CU. No one think, is worried about anyone on that court besides a ski booker making an open shot. Uh, the answer for me isn't even on the list, and it's confidence. So, I mean, I guess you could kind of place it into a couple of these things. Um, I, secondarily, I would say player development only because the difference between us and a team like Utah right now, to me, is the role players on the team know exactly what they're supposed to do on the floor on every single possession. You see Brandon Taylor goes on the court, and he has a lot of deficiencies, right? But he knows that when he's open he's supposed to shoot the ball and hit wide open threes. You see, they have a lot of role players on that team. There's only two or three, like, really good basketball players on that team. But the difference is no one else on the team is trying to do stuff they're not capable of. All they're focused on is this is what I'm going to do when I get on the floor for this specific roster, and all the pieces come together because they know what they're supposed to do. We talk about we have a bunch of guys who are athletic and can do a whole bunch of different things, but none of them are great at one thing. And also, they don't know what their role is on the team. And injuries have a part to do with that because they're playing different positions every day. But it just makes it really tough when no one knows when they get out on the court, this is what I need to do to help this team win. But can, yep. do they even have the players that can do those so. things? Yeah, to, sure. You know, like like Trey, <coughs> Trey is a pretty good shooter when he's open. And he passes up four wide open threes a game to try to drive and go score on somebody who's five inches taller than him. And he should be a lockdown defender. He's long, and when he's when he's locked in, he's pretty good in that role. Know what you're good at. Be confident enough to do it. Like I can't. The most frustrating thing for me on this team right now is just watching kids pass open, wide open jumpers to literally throw the ball to the other team. It drives me insane. Like if you're not confident enough to shoot a basketball, like how did you get here? Like you, you weren't a bad basketball player. That's why you got recruited by all these Pac-12 schools. That's the thing. When these guys were in high school, there's no way they pass open yeah. open shot. Not one of them ever pass open open shot in their entire high school career. No. So why are you doing it now? Like yeah. why are you not confident enough to be able to hit a wide open jumper? There are dudes in the crowd that are confident enough to hit a wide open jumper, and they're not better than you are. You need to realize that and shoot the ball. Shoot the ball because you're open, and because if you don't, you're going to turn the ball over as we've seen time and time and time and time again. We talked about that thought bubble, the Dustin Thomas thought bubble. It's it's a it's contagious. It's on the whole team. Oh, yeah. Everyone it's is thinking no one is just shooting the ball when they when they when they're open. Well, Besides the skill booker. Ryan, you and I briefly discussed after the Utah game during the Buff Stampede TV the fact that no matter what happens the rest of the season, unless they go on a miracle run in the Pac twelve tournament, which none of us believe this team is capable of, no matter what, this is gonna be looked at as a disappointing season. So 
if you're a Colorado fan sitting here today in mid-February, you look, there's, there's still a uh, you know, healthy amount of regular season games left. What, what do you want to see out of this basketball team? What would at least make you feel better about this team going into the offseason? Uh, I would like to see somebody have the confidence that a guy like Xavier Talton showed last year when he was forced to play well. Had a pretty good year in the second half of last year after Spencer Dinwiddie. This year, obviously, he's regressed quite a bit, and I don't know if he's going to be able to get that back this year, but somebody needs to be able to take that step up that says, okay, maybe he can help us out in the future. To me, if they finish 500 at this point, gravy. Because you're going to have to beat an Arizona at home or an Oregon State or an Oregon away from home in order to do that at this point. Those are all wins that I don't think any of us three expect to get, especially with the way Oregon State and Oregon have been playing in the last two or three weeks. I don't... If that happens, I mean, we've played a pretty tough schedule, and in the general scheme of things, you look at how the program has been in the last 20 years, and it's probably not really that bad, right? Even though the expectations were a lot higher than they have been over that stretch of time. If they could kind of maybe show some progress that they haven't shown at all this year, that would kind of be a positive step. Um, I don't know, maybe someone show up and actually have some leadership and say something that's, you know, they're holding their teammates accountable and, you know, maybe showing on the court that they care that, that to, to show their teammates accountable. That would be pretty much what I'm looking for at this point. I, I've almost got nothing. I, I don't think there's that many things that can happen aside from, you know, throwing together four wins in a row somewhere here or there or, or, you know, some player all of a sudden coming out of nowhere, which none of that I really expect to happen. I don't think there's really anything that's going to happen down the stretch that's going to make Colorado fans feel better about this season. Obviously, there are things that could make you feel confident. You just said, though, that you don't think this team is capable of accomplishing right. any of those. Oh, yeah, I, mean, I don't either. Like, you know, yeah, Tyler said, uh, a leader coming out of, coming out of the, uh, the darkness. It's, I don't see that happening. I don't see them stringing together that many wins. You know, the, the one that he said that I think is the most possible of happening is someone getting some confidence and starting to play well. For some reason, I just feel like it would be Jerron Hopkins. That's the person who probably has the most confidence on the team right now, I would ex- assume, based on his play. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that might make people happy if Jerron Hopkins throws together, you know, a, a stretch where he scores 14 a game or something, then people are going to feel better. But... There's not really anything that's, that I think is going to happen that gives you a silver lining on this season. Looking ahead, which players are part of the problem and which players can be part of the solution? Um, I think the players are the same, right? So the ones that you think can be part of the solution clearly are not right now. So they're the ones that are the part of the problem for me. Um, the two that really stand out to me are Xavier Johnson and Xavier Talton. Because we needed Xavier Talton to be... Uh, not a great player by any means, but we needed him to be reliable, and we needed him to make open shots. Not shoot 28% from the right. field. Yeah, he's been terrible. There's no yeah. other way around it, and we needed him this year because we knew we were light on guard play, and he's just gotten so much worse. Like he's just You can see out there that he doesn't have any confidence in himself at all, so I don't know why, why he would expect anybody else to at this point. And to me, Xavier Johnson, behind the scenes, has been, you know, he's got to be more reliable. It's kind of weird to say because on the court, he's kind of he's probably had his best year, except for the last couple of games when he was injured. Early in the year, he was looking pretty good. 
but he's just been so unreliable off the court. He hasn't taken any responsibility for his actions or shown that he cares on the court since he's came back. They rely on him for his energy, and his energy has not been good. I, I don't know. He just... If he could come in every night and give it 100% and, you know, be a positive influence on the team, I think they would play better. But I haven't seen that much from him lately. Those are the two, to me, that if we had them every night playing well, this team would be in a lot better shape than they are. Xavier Johnson has um, nine assists on the season, 31 turnovers. Um, wow. You, you talk about that's, that's That's really bad, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I agree with you. His play, I, I was high on his play more so than basically any player on the team until he got hurt. But even within that, you know, yeah. the one thing that Tad Boyle was preaching all offseason going into the season, and look, nine, nine assists and 31, uh, yeah, 31 and he, turnovers. And he's probably more capable than most of creating for others, right? You get yeah. him in the post in a mismatch, he's either going to A, get a really good shot, or B, someone's going to drop off on him, and he should be kicking out to guys. Now, when do you see his, him kick it out? That's what I'm saying. But in his defense, he probably also knows that none of the dudes are going <laughs> to shoot the ball. So, you know, what are you really yeah. going to do? But It's a vicious cycle. Yeah, yeah I, I guess one I would add, and I don't think this he's necessarily a bad influence off the court, but it's just Wesley Gordon. He's just he's too low-key. He's just too low-key. Um, on the court, off the court, it's just it's almost like he just doesn't exist uh, a lot of times. Um in practice, he's always quiet. Uh, on the floor, he's always quiet. And I, I don't know if it just rubs off, but it's just it's not a, it's not a good look. Even when he's playing, it's like the it's the Jay Cutler effect. I think I've said this before, but like even when he's playing well, it's just weird because you don't feel like he's bringing anything. He, he's just like scoring quiet baskets and getting in quiet stops. But you want to see a guy who can feed the team in the way that Xavier Johnson does when he's doing what he should be doing, and uh, I think, you know, Tad kind of knew what he was getting into when he recruited guys like that, but you, you think that you can turn it around, and it's just, it's a weird thing to say, but he, you know, he's just too laid back, too low-key. There's just no personality on this team. Like, I don't know, he's probably the most active on social media, this is a weird comparison, but it's just, it doesn't make any sense, because you see a guy like Spencer, right, his personality translates into social media, and a lot of these other guys who are stars translate into social media. You wouldn't have to be a social media guy, but people should know that you're a likable personality, right, if you're if you're on these teams. And it just seems like most of these guys are just not happy, I guess would be the way to put it. There's just not a lot of, like, bright personality on this team right now. It's just kind of a weird vibe you get from a lot of the individual pieces on this team. Yeah, I think when you talk about bright personalities on this team, you'd say, you know, Tory Miller, he has a bright personality. He's, you know, no no one's going to really follow him right now on the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and George King, George King has a really bright personality, and he's, you know, redshirting. So other than that, I, I mean, Josh Scott does have a good personality, but it's not exactly, you know, bright and, I guess, relatable. He, and he's, he's going through his own de- his issues right now. I know mm-hmm. he's very frustrated that he can't yeah, be on the court. Feels like he's letting guys down. So maybe that's why he doesn't feel like he can be the guy to step up and, and do that. But it needs to be him, though. That's what, I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't think these, that any of them are bad no, guys not necessarily. Guys. It's just when you have, like, I don't know, there's no connection to this team from the fans, I feel like. Am I wrong there? What you just no, like, I think you're like that guy is an awesome guy. Like I love watching him play. I love you know what he does interaction with the fans. Yeah, you kind of you look at uh, this is just something that came to my mind just now. Adam's interview with Patrick Carr yesterday on the board. Right. Everyone reads that and they're like, oh man, new favorite player. I love this guy. He's gonna put it all out there. 
you haven't seen anyone comment anything like that about any of the basketball players all season. So there's something about it where um, the, the, the fan, it's hard for the fans to love this team. You know, and you kind of understand why you go to the Coors Event Center and it's kind of dead in there because it, this team just isn't very lovable. And Adam and I have talked about it. They're not very fun to cover either. So it's just a weird, it's a weird build. Yeah, that's kind of exactly the point that I'm getting to. It's just like there's nothing there for you to grasp onto, well, I feel like. With this Tyler, team. a big part of that is the fact that they're not winning. After they beat Washington State 90-58, to 58, it was kind of a different feeling just for that one day. Not with you? No. I mean, it's Washington State. I looked State around the stadium and anyone. Yeah, I don't know. I think if they're winning, I think that changes rather quickly. It does, because when you're winning, it's easier. You know, you and I go into a press conference, and they're joking around in there. Um, right after that, I think it was the Washington State game, Tory Miller brings in that young kid, yes. and, like, that's a fun press conference, and you see, like, Tory Miller's a cool guy. He's fun to root for. But, so that that's one thing, you know. It's, it's hard for fans to see these personalities and fall in love with them when they're coming in there with their head down and their tail between their legs after the game. But they're doing that during the game, too. That's kind of the reason that they're not any good right now, right? I mean, you kind of have to, I don't know. Booker, obviously the only senior on this roster. And uh, Josh Fortune, you see him in, in those nice suits every game watching. Um, you're you're going to get, you're, when you trade these guys, basically, is what you're going to be doing with this roster coming back. You're going to get some things from Josh that you didn't get from Askia, And you're going to lose some things from Askia that you didn't get from Josh. At the end of the day, do you think, is that that's a, that's a wash between those two? Uh, no, <laughs> sadly. I mean, I really like Josh, and I think he has his game that translates, but he's a little more reliant on somebody to get a point. Yeah to, yeah, to create for him rather than Eskia, who you can see when he's not on the court, right? <laughs> we have, you add Josh to that mix, and we're still missing somebody to create. So, <laughs> um, I don't, I, I was really high on this team next year prior to this season and even at the beginning of this season. But I just don't see how he fits in and is able to score 15 points a game without somebody to get him the ball right now. So, I mean, Askia, he's going to be a lot less polarizing than Askia Booker. So if you want to consider that to be a positive thing, that's fine. Um, but kind of in a similar way that we needed Spencer, this team really needs Ski because without him, you would have seen a lot of that Utah game this year. And I just don't know how they're going to fill that creative hole next year. I mean, Dom is limited, really. You know, like, he's smart, and he's, he's you know, he <coughs> picks his spots, and he finds ways to get people open, but he's not, he can't do that every time down the floor. He's just limited athletically. He's not as athletic as he is. It's just a fact. So, I just, I don't know. I'm a little concerned about filling that hole. Yeah, I mean, you look at the way that Askia Booker has played this season. He's played an incredible season. He's playing really good. You take out those first four games, and he's, you know, playing unbelievably well. I don't even know how to put it in terms yeah. that, you know, other than he is just he's playing great. So to expect Josh Fortune to be a wash with Askia Booker is putting a, a lot of expectations on Fortune. I think um, something that you could hope for from a fan perspective is just that uh, when Josh Fortune kind of slides into that role, he becomes that Carlin Brown-esque leader and someone that, you know, the players can rally around because, you know, from what I've seen, he um, he has a bit of a strong personality and he he has leadership qualities about him. I'm not sure what it is. Kind of, he has a calming factor about him when you see him on the floor. So I think there's something to be said for that. But in terms of production, 
to expect Josh Fortune to replace everything that Skia Booker's doing is, is it's unfair to him because, like uh, Tyler said, he's not a guy who's going to cross someone up three times and hit a fadeaway jumper. That's just not the way that he gets his. So, um, uh, you know, it's tough to expect him to take the ball down the court and do the, all the offense, which is what a Skia Booker's been doing all this season. One good thing, um, it's not exactly his game, but he's bigger, so he'll be able, you know, to get get to the rim if you if that's what he wants yep. to do a little easier. They do have a scholarship available for next year if they so choose to use it. And I think we all expect them to search high and low for a graduate transfer, if not that a junior college player that could come in and fill some of their needs uh, immediately. I would assume a guard that can slash and, and um, create some things offensively. Uh, how worried would you guys be if? DeLeon Brown, who right now is technically a 2016 recruit, is planning to go to New Hampton prep for a year, was reclassified, and they brought in, him in next year. Would that be a red flag for you in terms of the future of this program? That's definitely a red flag. Um, and, you know, it's basically saying we had this guy, we liked what we saw from him, he's young, we're going to send him to prep school, um, and then we'll bring him in. All of a sudden, they're saying, well, we can't get anything better at all, so we're going to bring this guy in and redshirt him because we have nothing else to do with the scholarship. So, you know, that's DeLeon Brown, um, I like his skill set. I, I think he could have end up being a decent player for the Buffs, but he brings nothing to this team next season that they need. So, um, you know, if they do that, it, like I said, it's just them saying there's, we have nothing better to do with this scholarship, so we might as well bring him in and redshirt him now, get him used to the college game, rather than letting him go play at prep school. Yeah, it's not a red flag, it's a red planet. Okay. Yeah, dude. It's, it's just one of those things that's he's not ready to play basketball right now. So if we're bringing him in, what is it for? He doesn't, as Ryan just said, he doesn't give us anything that this team doesn't already have. He really just piles on the, the issue of this team right now, and that he's a long guy who can do a lot of athletic things. But where do we really slot him in? And I, I just don't see how making that move makes this team better long term, short term, whatever term you want it to be. He's not ready to be here, so why? You, you, there has to be a way that you can get somebody else into this building. There has to be. Yeah, the, the main reason for him going to prep school is to mature a little bit because he's young for his grade and he needs to put on weight. We've seen uh, a guy like Dominique Collier struggle at that size this season, and so uh, I agree with I, you guys. I almost think you know, you're better off just giving that scholarship to a walk-on if there's really nothing you can do with it. We've talked about in football the, the uh, positives of a gray shirt, red shirt guy. You know, the guy who gets two years to develop before you bring him in. That's better than uh, bringing in Daly and Brown, red shirting him, and then, you know, starting his clock. It's There's really no reason to do that, I, I, I don't see. So I think he's, even if they don't fill that scholarship, he's still better off going to prep school. DeLeon Brown is having a good senior season in high school, but I don't think it's – it's not like he's going to be Mr. Basketball in the state of Michigan or anything this year. Uh, so I think we're all on the same page there. Um, going back to this season, their, their game against Cal Thursday night, and then they play Stanford on Sunday. You look at Cal is a basketball team that uh, lost six of their first seven conference games, and now since then they've won four in a row. Tyrone Wallace, uh, who Colorado fans uh, – Cringe every time they hear his name is averaging 17.5 points a game, 8 rebounds. And then Stanford, uh, on the flip side, they, they uh, started out hot to begin conference play. They won uh, six of their first eight Pac-12 games, but they've now lost two of their last three. 
Uh, Randall, averaging 20 points per game, Conference Player of the Year candidate. Uh, guys, what are your thoughts about these games coming up this week? Uh, kind of the keys for CU, kind of the key matchups you're going to be watching in, in both of these contests. Real quick, I just wanted to go back to what you said about Tyrone Wallace. It, it seems that these things are just building up. There's like so many players that I see around the country. I'm just, oh, if they would have gotten him, they'd be a lot better. Buddy Heald at Yeah, Oklahoma. Buddy Heald is the one for me. Yeah, he, yeah. Uh, he's even well, higher than uh, Tyrone Wallace, in my opinion, in oh, terms of that yeah. much. So, yeah. it's... It's that, and then you're going to have Tyler Dorsey at Oregon a couple years from now, you know, scoring 20 points a game for them probably. And it's like how many times can see you get second place? Do you ever feel that way when you watch Thomas Welsh for UCLA? No, no, <laughs> and I never will. Yeah, the other one for me, they're both on Oklahoma. Ryan Spangler, too, was a guy that I really wanted coming out of high school who has played good minutes for Oklahoma as well. But, yeah, no, Tyler Wells is a guy that I haven't been overly eyeing. Obviously, he's big for Cal. Um, and he's a great player. He's better than a lot of the dudes on this team right now. But I, I just don't love him as much as others. But to me, he's him and Jordan Matthews are the two guys that you have to key on if you're going to beat them right. Jordan Matthews is a guy who can get really hot in a hurry. And we have the propensity to let guys get really hot in a hurry, right? So I would think um, that we're going to make sure that we run him off the three-point line, although we haven't done that yet this year. So who knows? And then Tyrone Wallace... Um, he kind of controls everything that they do. So, to me, he's not a great perimeter shooter. So, if we can actually make him take a bunch of jump shots instead of getting in the lane and creating, that's going to be the key against Cal. They're not a – they're okay. That's a team that – we're going to know pretty quick whether or not we should even follow this team for the rest of the season based on how this homestand goes because if they can't win these games. If they get shut out at home, then they're not going to the NIT this year. Oh, they're not. Yeah. They're, they might not win more than one game the rest of the year. I mean, these are te- Arizona, Cal especially. Yeah, Arizona State at home, I would think, is would be if they were to get swept this weekend, it would probably be the only game they would be favored in the rest of the season, correct? Uh, because that Washington yeah, well, State yes. probably I mean, Right now, they're probably favored at Washington State, but if this goes the direction yeah. we're talking about, they probably would not be. So, yeah. I don't know. I mean, especially the Cal game, I could see us losing to Stanford because we haven't been very good, and Stanford is better than us, and they're better than Cal. But... If you can't beat Cal at home, this, the rest of the season is going to be even more frustrating than it is now. So you like their chances to beat Cal quite a bit more than Stanford, despite yeah. the fact that these teams are kind of trending in op- opposite directions? Yeah, I mean, I don't think Stanford had a rough game last week, but I, I, Stanford's better than Cal. I don't. I mean, I obviously have liked Stanford better than most all year, but yeah, I don't. Cal is okay, but to me, they're very beatable. Stanford is still a team that probably makes the tournament in my eyes. So yeah, I like our chances against Calvin. I think they, I think they split these games, and it's hard for me to pick one or the other. I think they're twelve and twelve at, at the end of this upcoming weekend. Ryan, what, what are your predictions in terms of these games? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's out of the question at all to think they go zero and two. The only way I really see them winning one of these games is if Eskia Booker plays really well, which he's obviously capable of, but he's coming off an injury too. So um, unless they have one of those uh, Washington State like shooting performances, which no one expects, and uh, uh, honestly, most of those looks against Washington State were wide open, which they're not going to get against either of these teams. Um, so I I really think they they could go into this weekend. Given uh, how bad this season is, I, I kind of understand where you're coming from, but you look at just this basketball team since Boyle got here and their ability at the Coors Event Center, to fathom the fact that they could potentially lose three in a row is its hard for me to do. Yeah, I mean, it's not something that I want to think about, but it's something that this season has definitely become a reality. I mean, 
these teams are at worst comparable to CSU and Washington in talent level. So, yeah. I mean, it's it's certainly a possibility that we could lose these games. I mean, you look at who we've beaten in conference this year, and it's a really underwhelming list. So. I just hope nobody's contemplating suicide while listening to this show. <laughs> this is a pretty dark. If I'm show. still here, everybody else should still be here. Let's yeah. just put it that way. Although I did know things got bad when I was talking to someone who knows Tyler uh, before one of the games. I think it might have been Washington State. And I was like, oh, where's Tyler? And he's like, oh, he had, to, he had to pick up his parents from the airport. And I was like, if this team was anything decent, his parents would have been taking a cab. Oh, yeah. No, that's, that's not going to lie. I was like, it was, a, it was a nice excuse, man, to just be like, I'm going to take this game off. I might have to take a few more off the way they played. I mean, I got to watch the game, but I really had little interest in being there and I don't get to see my parents much, so for me it was like, you know. Well, maybe on some level this podcast is like therapy. It helps to kind of air it out and get it out there and kind of talk about the harsh realities that are at play here for the CU Men's Basketball Program. Anyways, I hope you guys enjoyed this show. We're going to be back. uh, Check your uh, podcast tomorrow. We're going to have uh, a football show previewing uh, CU Spring Practices, so tune in there.